We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go. Episode 595 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, June 15th, 2023. We now are a week away from the 2023 NBA draft, which will take place on Thursday night, June 22nd. And we now may well be in the final days of Bradley Beal as a member of the Wizards. We on Wednesday afternoon had not one, but Two major reports regarding the possibility of the Wizards trading Bradley Beal. And the reports came from the top two NBA insiders, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and Sham Sharania of The Athletic. If you are an NBA fan, you know that those two guys, Woj and Shams, Shams and Woj, uh, break basically every major piece of news in the NBA. And so, boy, was it interesting that both Woj and Shams on Wednesday afternoon had intel on the Wizards potentially trading Bradley Beal. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Coming up, I will react to what I believe now is clear. The Wizards want to trade Bradley Beal. 11 months after the Wizards signed Beal to the oh-so-wonderful five-year, $251 million Supermax contract, the Wizards want out of that contract. Golly gee, who could have seen that coming? Uh, Now, neither Woj nor Shams on Wednesday afternoon reported that the Wizards want to trade Beal, but it very much seems as if that is where we're headed and that a rebuild of our Wizards by their new look for an office is what is coming. Meantime, speaking of a major Washington, D.C. team potentially trading a big star. Next segment, I'm going to welcome to the podcast the man who broke the news of the Pittsburgh Steelers having, quote, strong interest, end quote, in trading for commander's edge defender Chase Young. Jeff Hartman, writer for Behind the Steel Curtain and the host of a Steelers podcast, the Steel Curtain Network podcast, he's going to join us to tell us what he knows about the Steelers wanting to trade For Chase Young, how likely a trade might be, what the compensation might be, how Chase would fit in with the Steelers and more. It's hard to gauge how likely truly the commanders trading Chase Young is, but this does keep coming up. It came up by NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB last week, and now we have this report of a specific team, the Steelers, having, quote, strong interest, end quote, 
in trading for Chase. Uh, additionally, I'm going to ask Jeff about what the Steelers might have in quarterback Kenny Pickett, who, remember, the commanders could have taken in that 2022 NFL draft. And I'm going to ask Jeff about a potential commander's pursuit of Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin. Should our team's current head coach, Ron Rivera, not last beyond this season? Remember, the commander's incoming lead owner, Josh Harris, has been a minority owner of the Steelers. Also on the show, the Nationals. Boy, did they get done dirty on Wednesday night. A 5-4 walk-off loss at the Houston Astros in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-1 ninth-inning deficit. The Nats in the bottom of the ninth, the latter run, thanks in part to what has become known as the Trey Turner play, which, as you may recall, did the Nats dirty in World Series Game 6 at the Astros in October 2019. Well, the play happened again, and the Nats got done dirty again, and the result was a Nats loss, and the result also a classic post-game rant by Nats manager Davey Martinez. We'll take you through everything coming up, and I'll talk Orioles. Uh, Their five-game winning streak ended on Wednesday night, a 3-1 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards as Kyle Bradish got outdueled by Jose Barrios, although not by much. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Bill Laval for two-part conversation with Commander's Insider John Kime of ESPN on Tuesdays and Wednesday's shows, episodes 593 and 594, writes Bill. Always appreciate the no-spin knowledge of JK. The talk of the 1999 sale reminds me about how fraught and convoluted it actually was. For some still unspecified reason, the NFL rejected original bidder Howard Milstein, allowing his junior partner, Danny, to swoop in. Sad day indeed. Uh, Thank you for the tweet, Bill. Yeah, the 1999 sale of the Redskins did end up being a mess, a mess that ultimately did result in an even bigger mess, Dan Snyder owning the team. But never forget, the number one reason for the mess was that the previous owner, Jack Ken Cook, didn't just leave the team to his son, John Ken Cook. And why Jack didn't just leave the team to John never has been clear. And while there's no guarantee that John Ken Cook would have been a great owner, it's very hard to believe that uh, he would not have been better than Danny. Email from Andy on the name issue, the name of the team currently known as the Commanders, writes Andy, Al, I am a huge fan of yours and have been listening since your days on 980 and from the very first pod. I agree with 99% of your analysis and commentary. I do have a bone to pick with you, though. I'm going to need you to take a much stronger stance on the name change. We all need you on this. Saying you don't hate the new name (laughs) is not doing anyone any good. Hear me out. Let's talk about the value of a brand first. With a good one, you take pride in it, you are happy to represent it, it creates a sense of unity and belonging. More so, however, a brand is true in its roots, heritage, and where the brand came from. There is nothing about commanders, the name, the logo, the uniforms, that I feel proud to represent as a Washington fan or that represents our franchise's history. I don't own a single piece 
of Commander's merch. When people ask me who I root for, I frequently stumble over my response. Should I say Commander's? Will I be judged? Do I need to prepare a defense of the name? The biggest issue that I have is that, for lack of a better term, the new name is so on brand. <laughs> it's 8-8. Eight and eight. It's picking 16th in the draft. It's a tie with the Giants. It's missing the playoffs by one game. It's meh. Add to the argument the farce that was the name search and pretending that this wasn't exclusively decided on by Dan Snyder and you've got a disaster of a rebrand. Now I'll prove to you why the naming process and decision were abject failures. Imagine you have a milestone birthday coming up. Your wife starts preparing two years in advance to make you the most special birthday dinner you've ever had. She asks you what you would like, your favorite appetizers, entrees, and desserts. She painstakingly sweats over every detail of the dinner for weeks and months, and finally, on your special day, proudly presents you with her final creation, happily explaining, there it is. <laughs> when dinner is over, your wife anxiously awaits your reaction and excitedly asks you how you like the dinner. Your response? Well, I didn't hate it. That's a fail, Al, in anyone's book, and it's Sofa City for you for the rest of your life. This franchise should be sleeping on the couch until someone fixes this mess of a rebrand. Uh, thank you for the email, Andy. Hey, I hear you. I don't disagree with you. The rollout of the rebrand was terrible. There's a reason that I've made countless jokes about the day of the official announcement of the name Commanders 2.2.22. And that reason is that that announcement was awful. There's a reason that I have played the drop of our team president, Jason Wright, saying, there it is on the Today Show on NBC on 2.2. Yes, 2.2. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Uh, the rollout of Commanders was low budget, low energy, and low IQ. And then we had something like the controversy with the crest. Do you remember that? You know, with it having the calendar years of the team Super Bowl victories instead of the seasons of the Super Bowl victories. And we've also had other screw-ups, including the mess that was CommandLegacy.com. My problem has been with the rollout of the name and the execution of the name. Much more then my problem has been with the actual name. When I say that I don't hate the new name, that's because that's how I feel about the new name. I don't hate it. Uh, I know that many of you do, and I totally get where you're coming from. But to me, far more worthy of criticism are the rollout of the new name and the execution of the new name, not the name itself. But, you know, Andy in his email concludes with this idea of the franchise needing to fix this mess of a rebrand. My question would be this. Define fixing the mess. Like, what exactly would be fixing the mess? There is no obvious fix. That's a big part of the problem. There is no obvious go-to new name. There is one name that would generate a lot of positive reaction, but A, even that name would generate plenty of negative reaction, and B, that name essentially has zero chance of being gone to, and that name is Redskins. So what is the fix? What can be the fix? There is no fix at this point. The entire situation is bad. Now, the situation potentially can be made better. Uh, I think that if the Josh Harris group decides to stick with commanders, then relaunching the name in a proper way might help. In other words, redoing 2.2.22 .2 .2 in a good way could help. And obviously, 
the team winning would help. But this is not a good situation. You know, this is not an enviable situation for a new ownership to inherit. Uh, There isn't some clear-cut way to go to make the situation better, and that is a real big part of the problem. Well, also not a good situation is what's happening with home and auto insurance right now. Uh, The home and auto insurance markets are messes right now. We are routinely seeing 20% increases in home and auto insurance, even when the account is clean, meaning no accidents or violations on the auto insurance and no claims on the property insurance. Uh, You right now have every reason to shop your home and auto insurance. That's why you should go with BMC Insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. You'll be put in touch with the owner and president, Matt Brooks, a loyal listener of this podcast, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Uh, BMC Insurance, it offers home, auto, and also small business insurance in Maryland, Virginia, Washington, D.C., and North Carolina. Uh, BMC Insurance is an independent insurance agency, meaning that it has many, as in dozens, of insurance carriers it works with to make sure that clients are always paying competitive rates. Uh, What's especially great about BMC Insurance is that it has relationships with its clients. Uh, BMC Insurance is a trusted advisor for your insurance needs. BMC Insurance continues to work with clients after sales. Uh, It has team members who actually shop clients' insurance every year when they renew. And BMC Insurance does this proactively so that you don't have to. BMC Insurance will save you time and money. And perhaps most telling, BMC Insurance's client retention rates historically are much higher than industry averages. When people get BMC Insurance, they stay with BMC Insurance. Don't get gouged on your home and auto insurance. Check out BMC Insurance. Go to insurancebmc.com. Talk to my guy, Matt Brooks, and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. And BMC Insurance does offer small business insurance. So if you're looking for general liability, workers' comp, or commercial auto insurance, BMC Insurance can help. Visit insurancebmc.com. That's insurancebmc.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. So when it comes to the commanders, there's something out there right now, and it's a something that may prove to be a big nothing, but it's also a something that could prove to be a whole lot of something. And the something is the team potentially trading edge defender Chase Young. Uh, We all know the deal with Chase. The team this offseason did not exercise the fifth-year option in his rookie contract, meaning that he next offseason is set to be an unrestricted free agent. Uh, Chase has not had a good season since his great 2020 rookie season due to injury and ineffectiveness. And Chase and head coach Rod Rivera have not always been on the same page. Uh, That said, I've always felt that the commanders trading Chase Young this offseason was a long shot. A, because they'd be trading him at a low value point, and uh, that is not what we call good asset management. Uh, B, because they'd possibly be trading him for a draft pick that Ron would not end up using uh, if he winds up being fired by next offseason, and see, because Chase does still possess great talent and still has upside, and to just give up on those things for compensation 
that's pennies on the dollar would not seem worth it, especially given the need for Ron to do well this coming season or else get fired. However, the notion of the commanders trading Chase Young is out there. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB, he in a piece that came out on June 6th, said that the commanders were, quote, open to listening, end quote, to trade offers for Chase, although Breer in a tweet later that day wrote, quote, just updating this, Chase Young has looked pretty phenomenal in minicamp, much better than in practice at the end of last year, and I'd say chances of the commanders considering offers on him aren't what they were pre-draft. Teams can call but I'd highly doubt he gets moved, end quote. Okay, but now we have this. The Pittsburgh Steelers reportedly being interested in trading for Chase Young. And that is coming from the reporting of the man who joins me now, Jeff Hartman, writer for Behind the Steel Curtain, which is the SB Nation site for the Steelers. So Behind the Steel Curtain is to the Steelers what Hogshaven is to the Commanders. Uh, Jeff also is the host of a Steelers podcast, the Steel Curtain Network podcast. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at jhartman underscore p-i-t. And Jeff, this past Saturday morning in a piece for Behind the Steel Curtain reported that, quote, sources inside the Steelers organization made it known the team has a strong interest in acquiring Chase Young, end quote. Jeff, thanks a lot for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So I've read your report. I'm guessing that a good number of people listening have read your report because it became a kind of a thing here in the Washington, D.C. area. What more can you tell us about Steelers' interest in trading for Chase Young? I think that when you when I, when I think about the overwhelming reaction from both Steelers and Commanders fans on social media, mainly Twitter, was interest does not mean that a, a deal is imminent. It just means that there's interest. And I think that that's intriguing on multiple levels for both sides of this particular situation, both for Washington and for Pittsburgh. For Pittsburgh, they were looking at, you know, all the reports heading into mandatory minicamp this week was that Alex Highsmith is due a big contract extension. He's entering the final year of his rookie deal. What would a Chase Young addition mean for him and for the commanders? A lot of people were, you know, asking questions. Well, what would this even mean for the commanders? What could they actually get for Chase Young? And a lot of these questions, well, we don't know. But I do know that there is interest. The Steelers have shown interest in Chase Young. Mike Tomlin likes Chase Young. He's made that known on more than one occasion. The most famous, I guess, aspect of this was in 2020 when the commanders came to Pittsburgh and and they beat the Steelers, the undefeated Steelers at the time. He made a comment on the sideline to Chase Young saying, I hope we're never that bad that I can draft a guy like you. And he he loves those guys. And, And Mike Tomlin has never been shy about liking potential players and Minka Fitzpatrick is a perfect example. He loved Minka Fitzpatrick coming out of Alabama. And everyone said, well, you're not going to draft the guy. And he always says, I'll find a way to get him. I'll find a way to get him sooner or later. And maybe Chase Young is this type of guy. I don't know. Your report said that, quote, sources inside the Steelers organization made it known the team has a strong interest in acquiring Chase Young, end quote. Just thinking about this logically, it would seem counterproductive for a team that truly wants a player to let it be known that the team has strong interest in that player because doing so seemingly would lessen the team's leverage in trade talks. Were you surprised that your sources inside the Steelers were willing to make it known that the team has strong interest in trading for Chase Young? 
Uh, not really. Uh, the Steelers are not, they, they don't play, they don't typically play games. You know, they're one of the few NFL franchises that if it gets out there, they're like, it is what it is. Like, so, so we're interested, we're interested. It's not going to change the way they bargain. Omar Khan is different than Kevin Colbert, who had the job of general manager for the last two decades plus. And, you know, they're going to have their cards that they're dealt and they're going to play them accordingly. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Sure, people will come back at me and say, you're a liar. Uh, That doesn't mean that my report was wrong. It just means that the trade didn't come to fruition based on maybe the asking price or what the Steelers were willing to give up. Now, the Steelers don't they don't really play those media games. And so I wasn't really shocked when I found out that there was interest. Um, They knew it was going to get out there and they they weren't too upset about it. So you have that going for it. You mentioned what the Steelers might be willing to give up for Chase Young. Predicting trade compensation in the NFL is so tricky because trade compensation is all over the place. But what do you think the Steelers would be willing to give up for Chase Young? It, that's that's difficult to gauge, and it's all based on what the commanders would be expecting. So we know top five overall draft pick, injury played career thus far, I can't. I keep coming back to the fact that Washington did not pick up his fifth-year option, and I've always said this about any player in the NFL: there's nothing, there's no bigger slap in the face than an organization who took you in the top five, saying we don't want that last year of contractual control over you. That that to me is a very damning statement. And if I'm the Steelers, I'm going to utilize that and try to leverage that. And I also want to get a feel for is Chase Young actually happy? In Washington, or does he want out? Because you know, if he's showing up at minicamp, and I've, I've heard reports that he looks good, eh, that, that might make it difficult. Because then, if he wants to be there, it's different compared to like a Minka Fitzpatrick, who is very disgruntled in Miami. He wanted out. His agent made it clear he wanted out. I haven't seen that. I'm not as in tune to the Washington Commanders news sources as those probably listening to this, but uh, you ha- you haven't heard too much of that talk. So for the Steelers. It might be something like a future draft, maybe future draft picks, plural. Maybe they even dip into the 2025 hopper of draft picks. Maybe there's a player that the commanders might desire. I don't think the Steelers are going to cough up a very talented player. But to give you an example, a player in the last year of his rookie deals, Kevin Dotson, he's a starting left guard. Not that the commanders maybe need that, but he has a lot of starting experience with the Steelers' acquisition of Isaac Sayamalo this offseason. Maybe he's an expendable piece that the Steelers feel like they could package in a deal, and you have a player-to-player and draft pick compensation. But I don't see the Steelers parting ways with a first-round pick for Chase Young. Second seems like a stretch, maybe a third, and maybe you throw in like that 2025 uh, pick to kind of sweeten the deal. It's tough. Like you said, it, it's really tough to gauge when you have no clue what the expectations are on the other side of this. The Steelers, of course, have two stud edge defenders in TJ Watt and Alex Highsmith. So would Chase Young even be a starter for the Steelers? Well, I think if, if Alex Highsmith is still there and we know TJ Watt is TJ Watt, Defensive Player of the Year two years ago, he's definitely going to see time. And he's he, is he going to be relied upon to be the guy, the only guy? The answer is no. He could possibly flourish in a role that is more versatile, uh, in a role that is not requiring him to be that guy. Uh, people that have played opposite of TJ Watt have flourished in the, in, in the Pittsburgh Steelers scheme. Uh, Alex Highsmith had 14 and a half stacks, and that was the vast majority of those last season were with TJ Watt in the lineup. When TJ Watt was out of the lineup, totally changed it. So when Chase Young came in and he was playing opposite TJ Watt, I have no doubt that even maybe not being that full-time guy, he would be productive in Pittsburgh's scheme. 
We're talking about the Steelers being interested in trading for Chase Young with the man who broke the story, Jeff Hartman, writer for Behind the Steel Curtain. Uh, T.J. Watt is someone who we in the Washington, D.C. area have cited as who we wish Chase Young would be. Uh, What, of course, is crazy about Watt is that the Steelers took him with the number 30 overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft. Why'd he last for so long in that draft? So uh, he had some knee injuries in college when he was in Wisconsin before he had flipped to the defensive side of the ball. He had two knee surgeries, so that had a lot of people concerned. He did not have a lot of time playing defense at Wisconsin. He flipped from tight end, just like his brother did. Uh, He flipped from tight end to the outside linebacker, uh, pass rusher role. And so a lot of NFL teams were just wondering, yeah, he's got the name Watt. And yes, he's Wisconsin product, but we're not really sure how he fits. Is he more of just a workout warrior from the combine results? And the Steelers, they loved what they saw. I was not surprised after his rookie season when he essentially he essentially ushered James Harrison out of Pittsburgh as a rookie. That was definitely telling uh, on the, the Steelers' side of things. But he is a guy that not only does he have the tools, he also has been in a really good spot. I still am a firm believer that organizations matter. Coaching matters. And he went to an unbelievable spot with Keith Butler at the time, drawing up those blitz schemes for him. Everything was tailored around him getting to the quarterback and utilizing him and putting him in a position to succeed. And he has definitely matured. He's definitely grown into his role, and he's maximized his potential. And that's exactly what you're seeing. You're seeing the Steelers that took a guy who was extremely raw, and they turned him into a defensive player of the year. Yes, they did. Uh, You and your report noted that the Steelers, in order to trade for Chase Young, would have to get creative from a salary cap perspective. Where are the Steelers with the cap right now? Uh, They're they're a little north of $15 million uh, in the cap space right now. They typically like to carry nine into the uh, into the season, just in case for injuries, things of that nature. Also, you have to keep in mind that their top three draft picks are still unsigned, so that's going to cut into that fifteen million as well. So uh, they, they still have some work to do, and this is where Omar Khan, who has been with the Steelers organization since two thousand, he has been their salary cap wizard under Kevin Colbert. So if there's someone that I would trust, if they were to make this trade financially, being able to make it fit, I think it would be Omar Khan, in my opinion. So netting out a potential Commander-Steelers trade for Chase Young, given the strong interest that the Steelers have in Chase, do you expect an aggressive pursuit of Chase by the Steelers or not necessarily? You know, when I got the, when I, when I was speaking with the source, I never once, and I, maybe I should have put, made this clear in, in my report, I never once thought it was going to be imminent. If it happened at all, I think this was going to take time. And you're talking about a, a big time name in the National Football League and Chase Young. If you're going to move to get him in any way, shape or form, it's going to take time. There's going to be a lot of negotiations back and forth. And who knows if there's not another team involved in this sweepstakes, so to speak, if other teams are looking at Chase Young as a potential acquisition of some kind. So to me, I never thought it would be anytime soon. I still think that if it happens, it's it's you know maybe within training camp. Uh, yeah, I, I did not think it's going to happen anytime soon. I have a few non-Chase Young Steelers items that are relevant to the Commanders. Uh, quarterback Kenny Pickett. Uh, Steelers took him with the number 20 pick in the 2022 NFL Draft. The Commanders, who have had problems at quarterback for a long time, uh, could have taken Pickett. 
did not take Pickett, ended up taking quarterback Sam Howell in the fifth round of that draft. But Pickett last season certainly seemed to get better as the season went on. What's the feeling in Pittsburgh about Kenny Pickett? Is there a belief that he could be a franchise quarterback? There is a strong belief that he is a franchise quarterback. And that's not just amongst the fan base, the the coaching staff, his teammates. I mean, they have been unbelievably vocal about how mature he is. He is an older, he was an older rookie last year, but also in terms of his command in the huddle, Already this year in minicamp, he is really playing well. He's definitely shown some improvement in terms of pocket presence. He's always had the accuracy, but he just seems to have an overall command of the offense. Uh, the, the Steelers, I feel like, got unbelievably fortunate in that draft class where he fell all the way to 20th. No quarterback taken. I always talk about in 04 with Ben Roethlisberger, how lucky they were that he was there at 11, and they lucked into that situation. They didn't trade up. I feel like there was a similar situation, not that I'm not comparing Pickett to Roethlisberger, but in regards to the draft playing out the way that it did, I don't think the Steelers expected Pickett to be there at 20. And when he was, he was their guy. And if the second half of last season is any indication of what he can bring to the offense in terms of poise, uh, fourth quarter composure, we saw several fourth quarter comebacks, last minute drives to win games. If that's the starting point in 2023, could be pretty good. And then the signs are pointing in the right direction for Kenny Pickett right now. Wow. So we as Commanders fans should perhaps have some uh, Kenny Pickett regret. Although I have to say, I am excited about Sam Howell. Uh, I don't know if this ever became a big deal in Pittsburgh, but the Redskins in October 2019 off firing Jay Gruden as head coach were said to be interested in Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin, who's from Virginia. He went to William & Mary in Williamsburg, Virginia. Now, the belief was that Dan Snyder very much wanted Tomlin. Uh, Dan is selling the commanders uh, to actually a group being led by a guy who owned a minority share of the Steelers, Josh Harris. Uh, The run that Mike Tomlin has had as Steelers head coach really is something. 16 seasons, never a losing regular season. Let's say that Josh Harris ends up firing Ron Rivera by next offseason. How gettable is Mike Tomlin? I think Tomlin owns his destiny in Pittsburgh. Uh, and that's just, you know, I, I think the, the only way that he steps down is if he says, I'm, I'm like a Bill Cowher situation, I'm, I'm retiring, or I'm at least going to take a few years off. Mike Tomlin, while Pittsburgh fans, which who are unbelievably spoiled, by <laughs> um, while Pittsburgh fans... I'm married to one, by the way, so I know. <laughs> so then you probably understand. Uh, while Pittsburgh fans... They bemoan certain aspects of Mike Tomlin, his clock management at times. Some people call him mediocre Mike because they cling to that, never had a losing season record. But think about that. The last time the Pittsburgh Steelers lost more games than they won was in 2003 with Bill Cowher. And it was that that year they got them the 11th overall pick in 2004, which I already mentioned was Ben Roethlisberger. So the Steelers have had a massive amount of success. They're always in the mix. And this is something that a lot of fan bases would just kill for, is to every year at the end of the season still be in the hunt. Doesn't mean they make it every year. Last year they didn't at 9-8, but still being in the hunt. I think Mike Tomlin has proven his worth time and time again, taking teams that really have no business being in that position and 
finding a way to make it work. So now I think the Steelers have made some really good moves this offseason. I really like their roster heading into this year. Should be very competitive in the AFC, potential wildcard team, I think. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin, in this regard, controls his destiny. And until he says, I'm done, I think the Rooney family is going to keep him as the head coach. And one of the Steelers' moves this offseason has been signing Commander's unrestricted free agent linebacker Cole Holcomb. And speaking of players who went from the Commanders to the Steelers, our old friend corner William Jackson III. Uh, the Commanders this past November 1st, what was NFL trade deadline day, traded Jackson and a conditional seventh round pick in the 2025 NFL draft to the Steelers for a conditional sixth round pick in the 2025 draft. Uh, the Steelers took on the entirety of the rest of Jackson's contract, which was a three-year $40.5 million contract, which Washington signed Jackson as an unrestricted free agent in March 2021. Jackson with Washington was a bust, and he ultimately did not play in a single game for the Steelers, who placed him on the reserve injured list this past November 12th, and then released him this past March 10th. Uh, what happened with our buddy WJ3 with the Steelers? Yeah, it was interesting that whole trade because we know that Mike Tomlin loved William Jackson the third coming out of Houston. He was gonna that was that was their guy. He was their pick before Cincinnati took him. The pick before the Steelers selected the Steelers had the knee jerk reaction of with Artie Burns uh, in in his stead. William Jackson comes to Pittsburgh with this weird trade. Uh, we still don't know about trade compensation because he didn't play in terms of the deal itself and. I know financials have worked themselves out, but still, William Jackson practiced for the Steelers, and so everyone thought, "Hey, this is going to, this is a primarily outside cornerback." It's what the Steelers were looking for down the stretch. I, I from what, what we heard, this is just from what we heard. He injured his back in practice, or pulled something in his back, and that has been the ongoing issue in Washington. And he never played again. And they actually got him off of injured reserve and returned him to practice prior to the last week of the season, and it just never panned out. The Steelers, I mean, he was due $12 million as a cap hit. There's no way they're going to pay a guy that much money for never even stepping on the field. He becomes a cap casualty and is still a free agent. I'm on the record of saying if he would be willing to come back on a veteran minimum deal, I'd give him a shot in training camp. He, he does have a skill set the Steelers desire. But at the same time, I did read a report that he's asking for more money than most people were willing to pay. So we'll see what his price tag is. But that, it was just a weird situation, in my opinion, between the Commanders, the Steelers, and the whole William Jackson the third thing. Yeah, weird situation is right. Well, we'll see if anything comes of the Steelers' trade interest in Chase Young. The man who broke that story, Jeff Hartman, writer for Behind the Steel Curtain and the host of a Steelers podcast, the Steel Curtain Network podcast. Jeff, thanks a lot. All the best. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show 
by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So we last segment talked about the possibility of the commanders trading edge defender Chase Young. We this segment are going to talk about the possibility of the Wizards trading Bradley Beal. And here's the deal. It is very much looking like the Wizards are going to trade Beal or at least are going to try to trade Beal. Uh, The new president of Monumental Basketball, Michael Winger, he at his and the new general manager, Will Dawkins, introductory press conference last Thursday afternoon, said that a total rebuild of the Wizards is a possibility. Well, we on Wednesday afternoon got reports from the two most prominent NBA insiders, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN and Shams Sharania of The Athletic, regarding the possibility of the Wizards trading Beal. Uh, We on Wednesday afternoon got both a Woj bomb and a Shams bomb (laughs) uh, regarding the possibility of the Wizards trading Beal. Adrian Wojnarowski on Wednesday afternoon tweeted, quote, ESPN sources as rivals begin reaching out to the Wizards to explore possibility of trading for all-star guard Bradley Beal, President Michael Winger and Beal's agent Mark Bartlestein of Priority Sports are staying in close contact to discuss scenarios presented to franchise. After completing first season of a five-year, $251 million contract, Beal's unique standing as NBA's only current player to have a no-trade clause negotiated into his deal gives him the ability to control not only possible destinations, but how a potential package to acquire Beal impacts his ability to play for a contender. End quote. Meantime, Sham Sharania, he and Wizards insider Josh Robbins of The Athletic on Wednesday afternoon came out with a report saying, as Shams summarized in a tweet, quote, Bradley Beal, Wizards expected to work together on a trade should team officials elect to reset roster with the Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat set to emerge as a prominent potential suitor, end quote. Now, neither Woj nor Shams reported that the Wizards are trading Bradley Beal. But clearly, Woj and Shams have been fed intel on the possibility of the Wizards trading Beal. And to me, that doesn't happen if the Wizards aren't looking to trade Beal. I believe that what we had on Wednesday afternoon were the first public steps towards something that the Wizards already have decided they want to trade Bradley Beal. Less than one year after signing him to the richest contract in Washington, D.C. sports history, a five-year, $251 million Supermax contract to which he was re-signed last July, the Wizards already (laughs) want out of that contract. What a debacle. Uh, And making things worse is what Woj noted and what we on this podcast have talked about plenty of times. The no-trade clause. The NTC. Uh, The Wizards inexplicably gave Bradley Beal the only no-trade clause in a current NBA contract. Why? Who knows? They just did. Uh, What a dumb, self-defeating thing that was. The Wizards giving Beal this no-trade clause. The damn Washington Wizards! 
<laughs> yes. Thank you very much, my good friend, my good pal, Stephen A. Smith. Uh, trading Bradley Beal with this Supermax contract is going to be hard enough. Trading Beal with him having this ridiculous no-trade clause and thus the power to veto any trade really makes things difficult for the Wizards. The Wizards are trading Beal multiple years too late and are doing so with him still having four years left on this albatross of a contract. But you throw in <laughs> that no-trade clause. I mean, what the heck is that? The Wizards cannot take enough criticism for all of this. But I don't want to lose sight of two things. A, it would appear as if the Wizards' new look front office, led by Michael Winger, is embarking on a rebuild. Uh, Now we'll see, but right now, this would appear to be the case. I mean, if you're looking to trade Bradley Beal, in theory, you're looking to engage in a rebuild. Uh, And B, it certainly appears to be true that the owner, of our Wizards. Monty Little Sports and entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis is allowing Michael Winger to do as he sees fit with the Wizards because rebuilding and trading away Bradley Beal are two things that Ted in no way has shown any inclination to do, certainly in recent years. And this is important. This is a big deal that Ted appears to be allowing Michael to do as he sees fit with the Wizards. Ted, for years, has resisted a rebuild. Ted, for years, has resisted not treating Bradley Beal like the elite player he isn't. The Wizards have kissed up to Beal in ways that are ridiculous. Again, only no trade clause in a current NBA contract. Why? Who the heck knows? But if we're going to have this new look front office with Michael Winger as president of Monumental Basketball, Will Dawkins as Wizards general manager, and Travis Schlenk as Wizards Senior Vice President of Player Personnel, then Ted Leonsis needs to get out of these guys' ways and let these guys do as they see fit. And if, in fact, that is what is happening, then that is a very good thing. Well, amazingly, improbably, it has happened again. It is what has come to be known as the Trey Turner play. If you are a Nationals fan, you likely know exactly of what I speak. Every time this play happens, the Nats are on the short end of the stick, and this happened again on Wednesday night. So the Nats lost on Wednesday night, a 5-4 walk-off loss at the Houston Astros in Game 2 of a three-game series, and in a game in which the Nats overcame a 4-1 ninth-inning deficit, the Nats are sinking. Uh, They now have lost 11 of their last 14 games and now are 26-40, and second-worst record in the National League. But the Nats on Wednesday night got done dirty by their bullpen again, and got done dirty by the Trey Turner play again. The Nats' top reliever is Hunter Harvey. Uh, He, on Wednesday night, in the bottom of the ninth, allowed an unearned run and recorded two outs. He came into the game in the bottom of the ninth, with the Nats having just tied the game with a three-run top of the ninth. Uh, Harvey gave up a leadoff single by Kyle Tucker to center field. Harvey then gave up an infield single by Jose Abreu on a slow-developing grounder to shortstop C.J. Abrams toward third base off Abrams having moved to cover second base. Harvey did then strike out Yainer Diaz on four pitches, but then Tucker stole third base without a throw 
And then Harvey issued a four-pitch, one-out walk of Corey Jolks to load the bases. And then came the end of the game. Harvey induced a grounder off the bat of Jake Myers to C.J. Abrams. Abrams fired home for the force out, but then catcher Bear Ruiz in an attempt to get a double play through to first base. The throw went off the batting helmet of Myers and or the glove of the Nats first baseman at the time, Michael Chavis, into right field, allowing Jose Abreu to score the walk-off run on what officially went down as a throwing error by Bear Ruiz. Uh, now, Nats manager Davey Martinez came out to argue that Myers was guilty of interference, but no interference was called and the play was not reviewable. Uh, What the play was, was reminiscent of another play for the Nats at the Astros. October 29th, 2019, the Nats in their 7-2 win at the Astros in World Series Game 6 saw then-Nats shortstop Trey Turner in the top of the 7th called out for interference. Uh, With then-Nats catcher Jan Gomes on first base, no outs, and the Nats nursing a 3-2 lead, Trey Turner hit a weak first pitch grounder off an Astros reliever at the time, an ex-Nats reliever, in fact, Brad Peacock, toward the third base side in front of the mound. Uh, Peacock fielded the ball, fired a throw to then-Astros first baseman Yuli Gurriel. The ball and Turner collided with Gurriel's glove, resulting in the ball going down the right field line into foul territory and resulting in Gomes advancing to third and Turner advancing to second. But home plate umpire Sam Holbrook soon called Turner out for interference, which also meant that Gomes had to return to first base. Davey Martinez then came out of the dugout to dispute the call, but because the decision was considered a judgment call, the play was not reviewable. Ultimately, the umpires got the rule right. The rule is dumb, but it was interpreted correctly. Well, The Nats on Wednesday night did not get the benefit of the interpretation of the rule, as was the case two other times. May 19, 2021, a 4-3 Nats win at the Chicago Cubs. Trey Turner in that game called out for running inside the first baseline in attempting to get to first base on a wild pitch on a swing and miss strike three to begin the top of the seventh. Uh, Turner was called out despite literally running straight down the first baseline and then the throw going behind him. Davey Martinez came out to argue, was immediately ejected for walking onto the field of play. Uh, he then got his money's worth in, I think, what is the greatest Davey tirade of all time. Uh, Davey ripped first base out of the ground, although it took a few seconds, uh, and then spiked first base and then kicked first base. That was awesome. Also, this happened later in that 2021 season. September 20th, 2021, an 8-7, 10-inning loss at the Miami Marlins. This play, though, involved uh, a now-former Nat, Josh Bell. Uh, Nat's first baseman at the time, Josh Bell, although in this game he actually was the Nat starting left fielder. Uh, he in this game, in the top of the 10th, with one out, the bases loaded, and the game tied at 7, grounded into a 3-2-3 double play for the final two outs as Bell was called for running out of the baseline. The bottom line is this. The Nats keep being done dirty by the Trey Turner play, and he hasn't even played for the Nats in two years. And so now all of this brings us to Davey Martinez's post-game session with reporters on Wednesday night. And this was great. Davey busted out a color photo of Jake Myers on the play in the bottom of the ninth, clearly running way too inside 
of the first baseline, running, in fact, on the infield grass. And then Davey ripped the umpires. The home plate umpire was Jeremy Riggs. The first base umpire was Brian Knight. Take a listen. There it is, right there. Take a good look at it. Is that on the line? I don't think so. I'm over this play. Seriously. They need to fix the rule. If this is what the umpires see, that he's running down the line, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Fix it. We lost the game and he had nothing to say about it because he can't make the right call. Brutal. Brutal. What was his explanation to you as no, you went out there? He said he saw him run down the line. So I said, we lost the game because you, you made the wrong call. I guess. When you make... Hold on. I'm going to talk about how proud I am of the boys playing the way they can. They come back. They played. They played their butts off to come back to get back in the game. We do everything right, but I'm proud of the boys. I can't do nothing about those umpires. I really can't. Like I said, they need to take a look at that and understand that he he screwed that play up. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm done with it. If they're not going to fix it, then we move on, and that's it. But the boys played really good. I'm proud of the way they played. We bounce back. Let's come back tomorrow and go one and zero. And the best part about that, of course, was David Martinez invoking that, yes, he was proud of the boys, but that right there was outstanding by Davey. And he was right. He was 100% right. The photographic evidence told you everything that you needed to know. The rule is that the runner is out if he runs inside the first baseline and in doing so interferes with the fielder taking the throw at first base. This is a judgment call, but if you watch this play and you then saw the color photo provided by Davey, I don't know how you don't side with the Nats. The shame of the bottom of the ninth on Wednesday night is that the Nats rallied big time in the top of the ninth, a three-run top of the ninth rally by the Nats as the Astros completely fell apart in the top of the ninth. Uh, The rally started with a throwing error by Astros third baseman Alex Bregman, who airmailed a throw on what should have been a ground out by Nats DH Joey Manessis. Then came Corey Dickerson with a big pinch RBI double off the right center field warning track to cut the Nats deficit to 4-2. Then came a ground out by catcher Capert Ruiz, advancing Dickerson to third. Then came another Astros error. Astros reliever Ryan Presley, a horrendous throw to home plate off a routine tapper off the bat of second baseman. Hildemaro Vargas scoring on the play was Dickerson to cut the Nats deficit to 4-3. And then came first baseman Dominic Smith, who all of a sudden is Mr. Extra Base Hit, a one-out game-tying RBI triple to the right center field gap to tie the game at four. Uh, Now, the pinch runner for Dom Smith, Michael Chavis, ended up not scoring despite being on third base with one out. Luis Garcia, pinch ground out. Uh, Shortstop C.J. Abrams, a first pitch ground out on actually a close play at first base. Uh, as the Astros' bulky first baseman, Jose Abreu, had to out-hustle Abrams to first base as Ryan Presley was slow to get to first base. But a three-run top of the ninth rally by the Nats. Good game for Dom Smith. He is the Nats' starting first baseman and number seven batter. Went two for four with the game-tying RBI triple and a double. Uh, He did strike out twice, but Smith in the Nats' one-run fifth had a leadoff double down the right field line. The only other Nat who had a multi-hit game on Wednesday night was Stone Garrett. Uh, He is an Nat starting left fielder and number four batter, two for three with two singles. Uh, The Nat starting pitcher on Wednesday night was Josiah Gray. He lately had been guilty of bad process, but also had largely been getting pretty good results. Uh, His process on Wednesday night was better. Now, 
He allowed four runs in seven innings, but he lasted for seven innings. He only gave up six hits, although four of the six hits were extra base hits. Gray gave up two solo homers, two doubles, and two singles, but he had five strikeouts versus no walks, and he threw a lot of strikes. 95 pitches, 66 strikes versus 29 balls. Uh, Gray, in the bottom of the first, allowed two runs on a one-out hit-by-pitch of Jose Altuve, a steal of second base by Altuve, a two-out opposite field infield single by Kyle Tucker on a weekly hit grounder to shortstop C.J. Abrams, and a two-out two-run double by Jose Abreu to left field on a 1-2 pitch for a 2-0 Astros lead. And Gray, in the bottom of the fourth, allowed two runs on back-to-back one-out solo homers by Jose Abreu and Yainer Diaz. Uh, Each homer did come on a bomb to left field. Uh, These were impressive homers. Abreu's homer went a projected 417 feet per stat cast. Diaz's homer went a projected 404 feet per stat cast. But I actually thought that Gray on Wednesday night was pretty good. Josiah Gray now in this regular season, 14 starts, ERA of 319, a whip of 135. Uh, We all would have signed up for those numbers for Josiah Gray, 14 starts into this regular season. Uh, And also for the Nats on Wednesday night, a good relief appearance by Jordan Weems. He tossed a perfect bottom of the eighth to make that comeback from the 4-1 ninth inning deficit possible. Uh, Wild game, crazy game, unfortunate ending. The Trey Turner play, (laughs) unreal. Game three at the Astros, Thursday night at 8-10. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles' five-game winning streak is over as an Orioles offense that had been on fire got uh, cooled off a bit on Wednesday night. A 3-1 loss to the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in Game 2 of a three-game series. The O's now are 42-25. and That is tied for the second-best record in the American League and for the second-best record in the majors. The O's during the five-game winning streak totaled 37 runs. Uh, the O's on Wednesday night, just one run. Uh, the O's had just six hits and just one walk, went one for four with runners in scoring position. All six of the Orioles' hits were singles. The O's got worked by Blue Jay starter Jose Barrios, who tossed seven and two-thirds scoreless innings. He, in fact, tossed six no-hit innings until catcher Adley Rutschman had a leadoff single in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, The Orioles' lone run came courtesy of Aaron Hicks, who continues to do well as an Oriole Hicks on Wednesday night as the Orioles' starting center fielder and number six batter, one for four with an RBI single. But otherwise, the O's on Wednesday night got shut down. O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on the Orioles' struggles against Jose Barrios, who now in this regular season has an ERA of 328 over 14 starts. You know, we had a tough time with Barrios. He was, I thought he was absolutely excellent. Um, we were making quick outs and and uh, he was filling up the strike zone with all his pitches and moving the ball in and out. Fastball had a ton of life. He was tough to hit. You know, we gave ourselves a chance there in the eighth and ninth, just came up a little short. When a pitcher is working like that, is there anything you guys can do as an offense to, to counter that? Well, you can't step out anymore. So... He just had a really good rhythm going. It was, you know, it was pretty obvious and had everything going. Um, ton of strikes. So, not somebody you really want to get the two strikes with, anyways. And he was locating extremely well and made it tough on us.
Yes, he did. And it was a shame that the O's on Wednesday night did not hit because their starting pitcher, Kyle Bradish, was very good. Uh, Bradish, one run in seven innings. He gave up just four hits, a solo homer and three singles. He issued no walks. Uh, he did issue a hit by pitch. He did have just one strikeout. Uh, he threw 98 pitches, 59 strikes versus 39 balls. But Bradish was impressive. He was coming off a strange outing, a 6-3 win at the Milwaukee Brewers last Thursday afternoon, June 8th. Bradish in that game, three runs in five innings, but with 10 strikeouts versus one walk. Uh, He in the bottom of the first allowed three runs on four singles and a walk, but he then tossed four scoreless innings during which he had nine strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, Kyle Bradish now has an ERA under four. Uh, He now in this regular season over 12 starts has an ERA of 390. Uh, The Orioles' bullpen on Wednesday night did have some problems. Three Orioles relievers combined to allow two runs in two innings. Danny Coulomb was charged with two runs and got no outs. He and what ended up being a two-run eighth for the Blue Jays gave up a leadoff infield single, issued a balk, gave up an RBI ground rule double, and issued a walk. Uh, Mike Bauman officially tossed a scoreless inning, but he and the Blue Jays' two-run eighth gave up a two-out first pitch RBI double by Bo Bichette for a 3-0 Blue Jays lead. And then Reed Garrett tossed a scoreless top of the ninth despite giving up two singles. And yes, I did say Reed Garrett is in former Nationals reliever Reed Garrett. Uh, the O's on Wednesday afternoon placed another former Nats reliever, Austin Voth, on the 15-day entered list with right elbow discomfort and selected the contract of Reed Garrett from AAA Norfolk. Uh, now we'll see what happens with Voth. Uh, right elbow discomfort obviously uh, is concerning for a pitcher. Game three against the Blue Jays Thursday afternoon at 105. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 596. We'll provide you with more on the Commanders. Also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Thursday night at 810. Have game three of a three-game series at the Houston Astros. The O's on Thursday afternoon at 105. Have game three of a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. There it is. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.